where we we le- left off last time was I just asked you about what personal stuff went into the book and yeah we we got near it but we didn't get into it so um yeah I feel like that was kind of the promise of of what we were going to jump off on I think though first for anybody who's who's listening or watching um, just a little context. We got right to the like just the meaty part of of the conversation that has to do specifically with the book, and we had to end for the day, and so it was like a little cliffhanger of of our, the way our conversation goes. And in between then and now, I've read like three books and recorded two different interviews, and I know that you've been pretty busy too. So, um, uh, yeah, it's it's we're jumping back in, and I think for the sake of time and everything. Yeah, why don't we just get right into it? Whatever, however you feel like you want to approach that question, um, let's just do it. Yeah, well, hello and welcome back to all of you. Thank you for tuning in again to part two of the Ark Party with Rob Olson. I am the guest, Michael David Wilson, the author of books including The Girl in the Video and They're Watching, the founder of This Is Horror. I'm forthcoming from Cemetery Gates Media on Friday the 13th of October. You can pre-order it now. It's House of Bad Memories. And before, in part one, you wanted to ask me about what were some of the most autobiographical elements of the book. And so, as I said previously, this was very much a book of two halves. So... I initially wrote the first half as a novella. It was, you know, going to be published, but then for for like a few very minor reasons that that didn't happen, I decided to withdraw. No problem with that publisher at all. We just didn't kind of align. And then when I got it back, I was in a very different place <laughs> to when I'd, I'd written the original novella. So the the first half, I guess I was unpacking some childhood trauma that I had had, and I was kind of navigating and working through the relationship that I had with my father. And... I mean, it it was tumultuous at times, so I, I took some of that as, I, I guess, like inspiration for the first half of the novel. But it, it's, it's really interesting to, to be talking about this now because actually I held on to a lot of, I guess anger and injustice and negative feelings towards some aspects of my childhood. And so I I was dealing with that in the moment while writing it. But actually now any kind of feelings of animosity or, or negativeness, I don't have anymore. Oh, wow. It's gone. And I'll explain a little bit about that as well. Now, 
I want to say, particularly if my parents stumble upon this interview for some bizarre reason, my dad was never quite the level of Frank. You know, this is fiction. <laughs> so I have embellished and gone way over the top. There, there are little things that are autobiographical, but people can just guess what is and what isn't. I, at, at this point, I don't feel like I need to to say what did or didn't happen. But when I was writing it, I mean, I yeah, I was holding on to a lot of anger. And I mean, at the time, I'd just become a new father as well. So a, a lot of that and the feelings that Denny has towards May and wanting to protect his daughter, like a lot of that is, is coming from the heart. And I know that Jack Ketchum, Dallas Mayer, he spoke about writing from the wound. And I really think with House of Bad Memories, that is exactly what I did. But as with my general approach to life and to trauma, it's interspersed with a lot of humor. Like, even yeah. though I've been through some things both in the past few years and in my life generally, it's very difficult for me to tell somebody uh, a real life story of you know bad things happening without me cracking a few jokes. I guess because I, I, I just don't want, it, it sounds ridiculous, but I don't want to put a downer on things, even if what I'm talking about is understandably a thing where if you were to put a downer on something, that would be it. But I guess I'd rather laugh than cry, although I do understand that sometimes it's important to cry too. You need to let that out. So I have had moments like that but the second half of the book that was written after my separation from my ex-wife so we're now divorced but so so it is it, bizarre that I, I wrote one half when I was processing some things from my childhood and then I wrote the other half when I was processing you know, the, the biggest, I, I guess, traumatic incident of my adulthood. So there's a lot of personal trauma baked into this book. Now, I said that all the feelings, all the negative feelings that I had towards my father and... And and look, like the any feelings that I had were very complicated anyway, because well, I don't want this to turn into like, you know, I'm just like <laughs> shitting all over my father, although if you've read <laughs> chapter twenty-two, you might wonder in which way I'm not <laughs> literally, but metaphorically. You know, like that there, there are certainly good good aspects, a lot of good aspects about you know him as a, a dad, but I, I think at times during my childhood, the, the negative 
stuff kind of outweighed that. But, you know, now that that's that's forgiven. That's in the past, and that that's why it, that's why it was like, man, how am I going to talk about this? And I'm not even in yeah. the space that I was in when I was writing it. So, I don't think I could write House of Bad Memories today in the way that I wrote it when I wrote it because I'm just not in the mindset. One of the big reasons that actually I just completely forgave you know what had happened and said this this is over this is in the past was because the trauma surrounding things that happened with my my breakup and subsequent things almost put things into perspective and I could see that like both both my parents have been and continue to be so supportive and to have shown me so much love during this really difficult time. And I think as well, like I've said before on This Is Horror podcast and maybe in conversations with you too, but if we think about kind of the, the criminal justice system and things like that, wouldn't it be awful to be known for the absolute worst thing that you've done and that defines you and then that it it doesn't matter if you're sorry it doesn't matter if you're a good person now you're just always known for that and I I felt that like you know it even even though like you know my dad isn't known for that because I haven't publicly been going around like (laughs) talking shit about him but I I just thought even in like in my mind it had built up to almost be like this is what defines him I'm hold I'm holding on to hatred and I don't want to hold on to hatred and I realized I had the power to stop holding on I could let go And I also realized that my own happiness should not be contingent on the actions of another person. And one thing was I was holding on and I was waiting for an explicit apology, for an over-acknowledgement of what had happened. And then if I do that, then my happiness is contingent on the action of another person. And that is not a good place to be. And, you know, it, it was obvious as well that that my dad was sorry for some of the things that happened in my childhood. But his his personality and, and way of being is that you're just not going to get that explicitly. So that so that's that. Um now my my mother has explicitly <laughs> apologized for some of my childhood and I've just said it's okay don't hold on to that I forgive you I love you and so some sometimes periodically she'll she'll apologize again and it's like what <laughs> it's done it's done so I just think any time you have like a moment of of trauma or 
conflict or or something happens, then it it gives you an opportunity to almost evaluate everything else that is going on in your life. And so the divorce, the separation, the custody battle, the being apart from my daughter, it really put everything else into perspective. And I mean, some of the good things that have happened as a result of this, and that might not be the sentence people were <laughs> expecting, but <laughs> one is it's going to be really, really difficult for me to have a grudge with anyone because the bar as to what you would have to do has been <laughs> set high. And I mean, also, it just made me realize if, if, there's, if there's nothing happening now and I'm holding on to something from the past, it's like I, I don't even have the capacity to do that. So, yeah, I, I don't hate anyone. Um, I, I don't have... Obviously, the, the feelings... W- with my kind of current situation and and my ex are complicated, but at the moment, you know, we're, we're both seeing my daughter, we're doing our best to make things work. And I, I certainly do not hold on to hatred towards my ex either. It's like what's happened has happened. We we can't change anything. Let's just move forward. And that's what I'm trying to do. I, in in any action, in every action, I'm trying to lead with with love and with kindness. But it yeah, it can be difficult, but that's what I'm trying to do. And I'm trying to do it not just for me, but for my daughter and for anyone, I guess, who <laughs> interacts with me. It's going to be a better place <laughs> if I'm leading with love. So I, I think that that gets into, I guess, the core of the question. So I have like several ways I could go with this, but I think one of the the kind of main things that I'm pulling out of uh, out of that. First of all, thanks for sharing. Like I know that anytime we're sharing things that are personal or or talking about hard things from our past, it can't be easy. But um, you know, so I appreciate you being willing to talk about it, um, and especially the way that it comes out in the book with um, Frank, the father figure. And how you've been talking about what personal things tie in, there is kind of a feeling of um, your problems can transcend the grave in a way. So <clears throat> a personal experience for me, I, my father was never really a part of my life. Like when my before I was two years old, my parents divorced and he moved to Alaska. So he lived thousands of miles away from me and I barely ever saw him. Um and you would think, oh, he was never in your life. That's easy. But for some reason, I can't let go of like the disappointment of him not being around and him leaving and all these things. And so even though he's been gone, it'll be like 22 years or something now. Like it's still something that I have a hard time 
forgiving or letting go of because there's disappointment and, and I can't get over like you disappointed your child or your children. Um, and so like there was kind of that in the book, Frank becomes kind of a specter that is haunting the story, whether it's literal or, or, you know, just, um, Denny having to deal with thinking about all the things that happened. Um, those kinds of problems can haunt you. And what's great is it sounds like you, you found a way to exercise that, that ghost a little bit through writing the story. Um, But I think that it does resonate for people who have grudges like this. And we've all had hard problems with someone in our life. So I feel like that's a really relatable part of the story. Yeah. I mean, to, talk completely directly if if my father had passed away in 2018 when I was first writing this then I think I would have been haunted by all the negativity forever and that was kind of like where my mindset was at initially writing it and writing the first half um but but now, I mean, if, if he were to pass away today, I hope he doesn't. And that, that would be quite a scary timing. But that there wouldn't be there wouldn't be animosity or or hatred. And I mean I could talk at his funeral and I could give a good speech and I could give a kind speech. And, you know, we, we have a scene in House of Bad Memories where there's the possibility <laughs> of Denny having to talk at his father's funeral. And it it was difficult for him to do with authenticity if it were to also be, you know, a kind speech. So I'm, I'm glad that I'm not in in that place. I guess what makes it so difficult talking about things like this is I don't want you know the kind of things that I'm I'm saying here to to get back to my dad to get back to my ex and then for there to be some misconception that I'm holding on to some hate or negativity to either of them because I'm not but that that yeah that is the biggest fear about talking about these things. I mean, it, right. it can be a fear for a lot of people, I suppose, in any sort of media, having a soundbite or having something they said took out of context <laughs> yeah. or even put in context, but without the intentionality, <laughs> without like understanding the full kind of meaning. So, I mean, yeah, how's that for explicit? I don't have an issue. I don't hold on to hate or negativity for either of them. I don't think I can be any more unambiguous than that. So the way that the story, the way that House of Bad Memories plays out, here's what I picked up. This was a person who he had to confront a, a bad thing he went through, but then he also had to deal with the fact that it seemed like certain people remembered it differently or 
didn't realize how hard it was for him to go through. And so like, in addition to looking at all these old skeletons and just remembering the bad stuff, he then had to like confront the fact that like, you know, my sister didn't realize how hard it was for me or my, you know, like that type of a thing. Um, and so, yeah, it's not as much of like, uh, it's not a hit piece on anything. It's like, a, and I think that's what's identifiable with it is that we've all had something that it was really hard to get through. And sometimes we don't want to think about it, but when we're confronted with it, you know, history is, is, can be different from different perspectives. So um, my memory of my father is way different than my mother's or my brother's. Mm. Um, And so hearing them say nice things about him, I'm like, are we, are we talking about the same person? Yeah. So I really kind of identified with that part of the book too, like confronting not only the bad history, but then the other versions of the history that maybe you didn't think existed. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, you know, because people change and evolve throughout their lives, sometimes regress, unfortunately, as well as evolve if there's, <laughs> like a a reasonable age gap between siblings, then you can get a pretty different interpretation of someone. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have a different lived experience or whatever. Yeah. Right. Um, Right. And I mean, even being the oldest child as opposed to the youngest child, it's going to be a much different experience because, you know, unfortunately, for for the oldest child, which I am, it's almost like, well, th- this is this is the test run. This is the, the first time, and you, you know, you, you're gonna hone your parenting, I suppose, after because you, you're just doing it out of the gate. Whereas when you get to the youngest child, I mean, you you got some miles in terms of parenting, so you you know the things that work, you know the things that didn't. I mean, it's the same. It's the same with podcasting. Not that I'm saying podcasting and parenting <laughs> are, are pretty much the same thing, but you listen to our first interviews compared to our latest interviews, and one would hope that we've got kind of significantly better that we're improving all the time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And to that point, that was another thing that I, I, I wanted to call out about the story. So Denny's got um, a, like his family has recently changed in as much as he's got a young child. And so now he's a father. Mm-hmm. And since this story deals with fatherhood a lot, you're seeing almost his, what I'm interpreting as his kind of overcorrection for maybe the parenting that, that he received. Um, Mm. And it made, it made me think about, so I'm not a parent, but you know um, my current relationship, she's got two kids. And when those kids have something going on, whether it's a play they're in or like a soccer game or whatever, I will always be there because for me, it's very important to be present in a kid's life. And it's because of like my experience of not having that, that I feel like I don't want to ever let someone down and not be there for them. So um, was there, was that kind of how we built it in? Because at the beginning, especially Denny's almost kind of obsessively focused on 
May and taking care of the baby and and being with the baby as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and there's quite a lot of autobiography that went into that. And like, yeah, it's impossible to for really for me to talk about this book without sharing, without being really personal and and honest but you know my my perception was that throughout my family particularly on one side that there'd there'd been like a, a cycle of fathers that hadn't hadn't been great let's just put it like that to to put it in very mild terms and so i decided and I I tried to make a promise to say that I was going to break that cycle. Because it you, you know, and in a way you could you could turn this into a completely supernatural thing. It's almost like a curse. <laughs> it's like, you yeah, know, you yeah. you become a father and then I mean you're going to you're going to mess up. I mean all all parents unfortunately do mess up, but there are limits and we can we can say like, right, these actions I won't do. These are things I won't do. So I mean I, I said there were certain things that I would would never do to my child or to my children. And I said I'm breaking the cycle. That's not going to happen. Like I'm I'm not going to ever like physically discipline my children I'm, I'm very against that and so I made I made that promise and I feel that I I feel that I've broken the cycle but and 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 yeah like I I, I was and I am very protective of my daughter I mean it's harder now because she doesn't live with me so there's only a limit to what can be done and also the way that things have have unfolded I'm not the main parent so I can't make rules and decisions in that way but I, I can make the decision to every time I see her treat her with love and kindness and respect so I'm being mindful of the things that I can control but I, I do, and this is completely going off the story now. This is just like sharing, but it, yeah. <laughs> I, I do have complicated feelings because on one hand, I've broken the cycle, but I, I, don't, I don't feel good about the fact that, you know, I, I had a child with someone and now we're not together anymore. I feel bad about that. I feel like I let her down in some way. And obviously, like with the divorce and the custody battle being complicated, I feel like have I inadvertently not broken her cycle and I've just messed her up in a completely different way. And I didn't mean to do that. And I battle with that. <laughs> it's really difficult for me. <laughs> um. But people tell me, you know, 
No, I haven't, but I, you know, sometimes I feel like I just, I'm letting her down in different ways. That's really fucking hard. Do you want a minute or do you want to, you want to push through? We're live. We're live. Yeah, all, right. <laughs> all right. That's cool. I just want to make sure. Chapter like, 22. Uh, Chapter 22. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> um, here, here's what I'll say as the, uh, from the experience of a, of a child, um, you never know what's going to, you know, uh, be, being a child and looking at the parents I have, I don't think they knew what was going to be good or bad. They were just doing their best, right? And I think that, well, one was doing their best. Um, one made a decision to not be there. Um, but that was, um, you don't know what, you, you, there's not like a rule book. You do it your best. And um, uh, from my mother, who was the person who was um, kind of primary in my life, I lionize that woman. And I do see all the effort that she made. And even my father, in the time I was with him, I could tell like that dude was into being a dad. He just yeah. really made bad choices. And so it didn't work out. But like... um you can always see the good efforts and the, and the, and you can see the love, you can see the effort. Um, but I think as parents, all you can do is try your best and make sure that they know how you feel about them. I think that's really all you can do. Um, but again, that's me not being a parent. That's me not going through the, kind of heart killing things that a parent has to go through on a daily basis. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, like, but from my experience, we, we are just trying to figure it out and we're just doing what we think is best. I think. Yeah. I don't know if that was helpful. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> I, I agree. I'm, I'm just not sure what to add to it. Yeah. So, um, not necessarily pulling away from that super serious stuff, but kind of zooming out a I little mean, bit. We, we certainly can. <laughs> we certainly can. It's not like, well, no, please, let's, <laughs> let's continue with this. Make me cry again. Let's go for two. I mean, I... I think one episode, Brian Keane on This Is Horror cried three times. So you, you've got about another 50 minutes to get another two in. Oh, God. I'm not, I am not the interviewer that you are, my friend. Um, so I don't see myself rising to that challenge. But, uh, I, I, oh, not nice. <laughs> I don't know if deliberate pun about, you know, Brian Keane's The Rising Book. Oh. Uh, um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if it's a badge of honor, really, to be like, "Oh, I can, I can make people I interview cry." It's like, why do we want to go on your show then? What the fuck? Right. That doesn't sound like a well, good time. 
you connect with people in a way that um, I, I feel like I shy away from. Um, so I feel like when you interview people, you open doors that I'm a little worried to open. Um, so I've always thought that's something I could work on. And actually, honestly, so like, we're going to just turn it to, um, something that happened recently. I, so since starting this podcast, um, I, you know, I, I think you're my, I think I'm a, I've just broke 20 episodes of, of this new thing. That's just me. And when I was talking to Josh Mallerman, we got into some cool stuff and then we stopped recording and I told him a really like vulnerable story about like when I was going through chemotherapy and how, like what my lowest moment was. And it Mm. felt really good to talk about it, but we weren't recording. (laughs) But when I was just talking with Nat Cassidy um, about nestlings, there's a lot of like personal suffering and, and, and stuff that goes on in that book. And and it opened a, a door for me to like, feel like, I can talk about this because, you know, it kind of relates to the conversation. And I did open up when I told that story. So on a future episode of the podcast, like I, I, and I think that what I'm, I'm starting to be more vulnerable about my feelings and, and the stuff that's been hard for me. So, um, and that's absolutely a inspiration from when you had like, um, some more of your vulnerable moments, um, recently talking about, you know, um, the stuff you were just talking about with your, uh, separation and the, and the custody and stuff. But so like, I think I'm kind of starting to want to be more of that as well, especially if it ties into the story. If it's like I'm interviewing James Patterson or something, I would, I wouldn't be like, let me tell you about chemotherapy. But, um, when it serves the discussion, I feel like it is a great thing to get really personal because, then we're really kind of connecting in a way and not keeping it just surface level. So yeah, that's really actually like a big inspiration for me to, to try and be more of that person. Cause I'm really guarded usually. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we may have touched on it in episode 500 of this is our podcast, which for people who don't know, Rob Olson was, interviewing me alongside Lisa Quigley, Ladies of the Fright. And, you know, the, the, I think the turning point for being more vulnerable on This Is Horror was episode 100 with David Moody, which we actually did live as well. So, you know, when, when you're doing it live, it's like, well, th- this, this is it. This is the episode. And, like, David started talking about mental health and depression and just the real kind of struggles that he'd been facing, particularly going back to being a full-time writer and he didn't realize how isolating and lonely it would be and the kind of negative effect that would have on his mental health. And then when, when we did that, we started getting comments and feedback from people thanking us for just being so candid and vulnerable and open. And I like, I guess that was the shift. And beforehand, it's like, oh, if something is going to be uncomfortable or contentious, I don't want to get into that. So I would be guarded. But after that, it's like, no, if there's ever an opportunity then then I will. If that's naturally where the conversation is going, 
So, you know, to be clear, it's like I'm not I'm not deliberately looking for trauma or wounds to open. But if there's if there's an uncomfortable question that seems to be appropriate to what we're talking about, then I will do it. And I will do that with anyone. And that would include James Pattinson. I mean, you know, we had we've had Dean Koontz on a couple of times. I, I started pretty near the beginning of the interview asking him about, you know, having an abusive alcoholic father. That's right, quite right. a bold move, I suppose. <laughs> you know, <laughs> arguably the, the, the biggest guest in terms of reach that has been on the show. He's 10 minutes in and he's, he's talking about you know, these really personal moments from his childhood, the difficult relationship, but it completely was appropriate to the conversation, especially as I open with early life lessons. Again, literally the last, this is horror podcast that I recorded. It may, it may be out by the time this airs because it will probably be the next episode of This Is Horror we were speaking to Daniel Krauss and I directly asked him what was, what is your relationship like with your father? (laughs) And his response was like, wow, I respect how (laughs) bold you've been (laughs) to just ask it. And that, that is the way I asked it. There was no real run up to it, but if you've read whale fall, and if you haven't, it's not a spoiler to anyone anyway. I know you've read it because you've spoken <laughs> to Daniel, yeah. but it's so much of it, it is about relationships, parental relationships. And so it completely served the conversation. I mean, there's there's trauma, there's a kind of... It's not a spoiler because literally the, the main character finds out that is father has committed suicide within the first page I believe it is so it's about processing that processing their tumultuous relationship so in fact thematically there's some crossover between House of Bad Memories and Whaleful aesthetically and in the way that it's, it's done you probably couldn't get tonally much different books but in terms of the themes and the yeah that there's crossover there yeah 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 definitely for sure um i uh had a thought about the idea of how we you know we we are vulnerable when we're talking and then going back to what you were saying about worrying how people were talking about might feel hearing it. Um, and I was talking to Josh Mallerman about the nonfiction book that he was in the process of writing when I talked to him, but he's since finished. And, um, to me, the thought was, wow, that's put down on paper. Like those are your thoughts that are going to carry on forever. What if like down the road you have to explain yourself, but, then I thought about there was Malcolm Gladwell made an appearance on some podcast and was saying how, yeah, of course I disagree with some of the stuff that's in, you know, uh, my early books because I'm a different person now I've changed. And so I think that 
being kind of authentic in the moment and talking about what XYZ means to me now is okay because as long as people are giving you the benefit of the doubt, they have to understand that like we are constantly evolving people. And, um, you know, if I don't say something clearly or use the right words, what's the meaning behind them? What is the feeling behind them? Hopefully you would give me the benefit of the doubt to, to, to do that. But then otherwise give me the benefit of the doubt to evolve my thoughts and feelings too over time. So, but just yeah. not saying them at all, I think is one of the most like dangerous things you could do is like, just never express yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's important to have an outlet to express yourself and your most personal feelings. It certainly doesn't always need to be, and perhaps shouldn't be public, <laughs> you know, particularly because as we've said, like that could come back at you and you know what you're thinking initially about a thing even within a few hours it might change but I do think it's very dangerous and yeah I can say from first-hand experience if you hold on to things and you never tell anyone you should talk to someone you should have like a trusted group of course there's going to be like different people to talk about different things it could be like right this is this is my friendship conflict friend this is my relationships this is my childhood trauma (laughs) friend hopefully you don't identify your friends in terms of the trauma that you can talk to them about but yeah I think much as our lives have different seasons we have different people who we talk to about different things and we we go to to be vulnerable about different things it's probably good to not have you know one person who you go to about everything because that that's quite the burden to put upon that person oh yeah yeah especially if it's like your partner um yeah like that could be poisoning a relationship where it's like you need to have healthy relationships with a lot of not a lot, but like more than just a person because you could be poisoning that relationship by just dumping everything on them. Um, I'm going to switch gears, buddy, because I want to, for the sake of time, um, I want to talk about other aspects of the book than maybe like the, the real heavy, heavy stuff. And um, we, we talked a little bit about it uh, in the, in the other episode, but, there are definitely like more moments of levity and stuff throughout the book. And that just feels like that was kind of like your natural way of, of telling a story. Um, But the question I'm going to ask is um, what was like your favorite aspect of the book to write? My favorite aspect to write. I think a lot of the interaction between Jade and Gaza, anything involving Jade was immensely (laughs) fun to write. I also really enjoyed writing. There's a a part in the book towards the end that references Annabelle Chung, and I'm not going to say any more than that, but that was a very... (laughs) fun part to write like I yeah I like 
the humor and the light parts, those are generally the most enjoyable parts for me to write. I mean, the the book that I recently completed, Daddy's Boy, is even heavier on the humor. It might be a little bit much for some people, but in a way, I wrote that book for me because I've been dealing with so many heavy things. I just needed to write something which in many ways was just pretty fucking dumb. Just something fun for me to do, something enjoyable. It's like, this one is for me. Now, despite that, that, there are actually heavy themes if you go deeper and to to do with fathers and sons and parental relationships. So obviously House of Bad Memories has not kind of exercised that completely, but actually Daddy's Boy is more dealing with with the the idea of like abandonment and and having a child but not always being with them or not being with them Ooh. for a very long time. But we, we can save that for the release of Daddy's Boy. <laughs> if if <laughs> you even talk to me having read it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like that's up my up my alley a bit. Um so for listeners, the Jade character is um Denny's sister who's kind of a junkie and I guess the way that I would characterize her is she's kind of a fuck up. Um, but like in a really entertaining way, like she's just blustery and, and larger than life and swears yeah. like a sailor and, and makes bad choices. But like in her own weird way, like because of the life that she's in has like a, a a weird competency that becomes valuable and like the fucked up situation that the story like ends up yeah. being. And then, um, and then, um, Oh, I didn't have, it's Gaza, right? The Gaza. Yeah. Yeah. Is like the, her kind of like her baby daddy who is, um, equally, if not more fucked up. And, um, but like the way he shows up is very much not, I don't want to say comic relief, but like, it's obvious that yeah. this character's presence um, makes for the ability for like weird foolishness and tomfoolery to, to, to happen. And so it's very entertaining, especially when the two of them interact because it's just like kind of a clown show of like fucked up lives. Um, but not in a one dimensional way. Like they're, they don't seem like they're caricatures. Like they seem like real mm-hmm. people. Um, but just yeah, they do open the door to more of that levity and and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think you know Jade is a complicated character, and Jade is someone with a lot of loyalty and a lot of love. It just can be difficult sometimes to to make the right decisions. But any decision she makes is the decision that feels right to her at the time. But she she's very impulsive. Yeah. She will do yeah. exactly what she thinks needs to be done at that moment. She will say whatever turns up in her mind. She doesn't give a fuck. She has, if she ever gave a fuck, she is all out of fuck <laughs> to give now. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I I I really like Jade and the early reader reaction. I mean, for a number of people, she's their favorite character. And it's kind of got the gears turning that if ever I were to write a sequel, could I write or, or a spin-off even, would I would I dare to write a book where Jade is the main character? <laughs> and I might. I might do that. But yeah, it would take something. Well, even like the thing that as a reader, I think of first is Jade is introduced to us as this kind of like larger than life thing that she is. And we Mm. are endeared to her, even though she's got flaws. But as a reader, my first thought is like, what got her to this point? Like, how is she this? So like my thoughts are an origin story. Like, is there a novella? Yeah that takes us to her younger life and, and like, Mm. and then basically puts it in a situation where it's like, Oh, it all makes sense. Now, of course that's how she acts because of this thing that I now know. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So we've gone from sequel to prequel or we can (laughs) do, do the whole thing, which a number of authors have done where a book is simultaneously a prequel and a sequel you know, jumping yeah. between time periods. But yeah, there's, <laughs> there's a lot to think about. I mean, I already have a lot of story ideas and more story ideas and more stories in progress than I have time, but it it's the way that the brain works. It just brings more of them, <laughs> more of them to me. So, Do you know, the person I love doing this with is Josh Mallerman, because even if I know it's never going to happen, like if you plant an idea for a good story in his head, like his enthusiasm for it is fucking great. Even if it's like, you know, uh, it's never going to happen, but like in the moment he's like, I could write that book and it's very exciting. So um, I love doing that kind of thing with Josh where it's like, what would happen to the census taker? Like, you know, that kind of thing. So, Mm. Um, but uh, uh, maybe we can have a Harry, the landlord origin story. (laughs) <laughs> um that, that would be it's like the worst time for me to take field. a sip <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so um I, i've been starting to ask this question and i might actually kind of make this a a, a common thing um mm. outside of like obviously being entertained and enjoying the story um I didn't ask this question already, did I? In the last one, it's been a while. But um, well, you if I did, asked, you haven't asked, I haven't it asked yet, it. so I don't know <laughs> what the question is going to be. <laughs> so, outside of just like the entertainment factor of reading a story and enjoying it, like, is there something that you would like to hear that people came away from this book feeling, or like a like a deeper meaning that you would like them to kind of discover as part of this book in a non spoiler kind of way? You could talk about. Like, I think that any interpretation and any feelings that anyone has coming away from this or any other story are completely valid. And we've said before that, I mean, the moment that the writer puts the book into the world, 
they've let go of it now. In a way, it's not theirs. It's the reader's. So I wouldn't be so prescriptive, borderline pretentious to be like, oh, I want you to go away with this feeling or this thought or this epiphany. And, and because I don't know what life experiences you're bringing to the story. But, you know, of, of course, I want people to be entertained, as you mentioned before. I would hope that people would laugh at some of the humorous moments. But if it helps you with anything, if it helps you unpack some of your childhood trauma, if it makes you think about a relationship in a different way, then that's incredible for me. Yeah, I mean, if it can affect your life in any positive way, then that is a good thing. But I don't want to be prescriptive as to say this or that. And we find with books that they can help people and they can affect people in ways that they didn't even know they needed that help. But even, you, you know, some some people they can be a little bit disparaging to books that only entertain. But I think I think that a book that entertains you, I mean, that, that's an amazing thing to be able to do, especially yeah. if, you know, maybe you're going through some things, maybe you're having some depressive episodes or worse, and then being entertained and distracted, having these moments of levity and joy, being able to laugh, how is that less valid than it making you have an epiphany about your life? I mean, it's incredible. It, it's entertaining may have taken your state from being depressed to being happy in a moment. So I think mm -hmm. any reaction is completely valid any positive epiphany reaction response is great for me to hear and any negative then i'm sorry for inadvertently <laughs> causing you discomfort unless it was valid and helped you reach a, a higher point and if you didn't enjoy the book then I'm sorry, and it wasn't for you, but there are many other great writers that might be for you that are completely different to me, like Daniel Krauss, who we mentioned. So check out his work. Um, you brought up, and, and the one of the reasons I, I asked that question is exactly kind of what you got around to, which is that just having an, entertain, an entertaining story is absolutely great um and i the the trouble that i've found myself in as a person who talks about books is i have to craft a conversation about a book and if it's just entertaining i feel like i can have a conversation about that book but like when it explores deeper themes i feel like it's easier to kind of go into stuff and so as as a i, I started to worry that as a person who talks about books then other people are going to listen to those conversations that I don't want to give a book that is purely for the sake of entertainment, 
different treatment than a book that also explores, you know, other stuff in addition to, to being entertaining. And so I'm really careful now to not make it seem like one is better than the other because, you know, at the end of the day, everything that we talk about is like the most subjective shit ever. Like, um, we, we're not like the arbiters of taste, you know, um, we're just talking about shit that we liked and why we liked it. And, um, I don't, I don't want to ascribe more value to one thing than another. So I'm now very careful about, um, not saying, Hey, why is this important? But instead of saying like, you know, exploring more kind of evenly those types of things. So I know I've kind of stumbled around what I just said there, but like the general idea being like the book you wrote is the book you wrote and that's why it's good or that's why it's important. Um, and I, and I feel like that's kind of a message I'm trying to get out now more is, you know, mm. it doesn't necessarily have to mean more than just being a fun ride. And like you said, um, sometimes we need that, man. Like we just need to, a moment away from the dark thoughts or whatever it is to kind of reset or feel good or have an excuse to laugh. And that can be more important than reading a book that explores, you know, deeper, deeper thoughts sometimes too. Right. Sometimes I just want to laugh and watch a Tim and Eric skit. Other times I maybe want to watch a David Lynch film and really unpack exactly what is going on here and dissect the meanings. <laughs> but I don't think that one is necessarily more valid than the other. I, th I think it's a different function. If I watch Blue Velvet or Freddy Got Fingered, I'm going to have a completely different <laughs> experience. But I, I, I think that they both serve a function for a different time and a different response that I need. And I think, too, that, I mean, a lot of books or films that are just entertainment or actually not just entertainment there are meanings yeah. there are things that are going into them they might just not be as overt i mean the greasy strangler which was written by toby harvard we had a conversation with him and on the surface you might just think you know that this is this wild comedy with a lot of dumb one-liners and body comedy and it's just there to make you laugh but actually if you dig deeper this is about a father-son relationship this is about that dynamic this is about navigating adulthood and relationships and sex it's just couched in this very fucking laugh out loud hilarious movie so yeah i don't think that many things are just entertainment there are other layers there are other meanings if you want to look for them just because it's not so explicit as whaleful which i keep coming back to as if like <laughs> my conversation with daniel he slipped me some money and he was like so you're doing this house of bad memories tour but can you just if i paypal you this could you mention whaleful every interview <laughs> No, that, that didn't happen, but yeah, it, 
it's very obvious the themes in pretty much every page, but then just because House of Rock by Danger Slater, it might be less apparent. It doesn't mean that it's not there to be uncovered. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, the my joking thought about Whale Fall, which isn't a joking thought, but um, like... I never expected to have such empathy for a whale that swallowed a protagonist as I did reading that book. So like at some point you just fucking love the whale um, in a way. Yeah. And I was not expecting that. <laughs> so, but um, yeah. Yeah. in all, in all seriousness, because that book has been mentioned several times, go back and listen to my uh, interview with Daniel Kraus, which by the way, he tweeted, it was one of the best interviews he's ever had or something. And so like that's going in promotional material for me somewhere because that's high fucking honors. Um, but um, yeah, it's such a, and then I can't wait to hear you talk to him too, because um, it's such an interesting fucking book. And it just, the way that he kind of explains how he, crafted it and everything yeah it's but on its face it's a fucking great book and the moment i saw that every chapter most chapters start with like a psi rating of how much air is left in the tank Mm. immediately made me feel claustrophobic and scared and like worried like all he did was put some numbers on a page and it just amped up my anxiety in a way and i was like god damn it that's good god damn it that's good (laughs) Um, anyway, uh, this isn't the whale fall episode. Um, kind of going back to, sorry, I'm going to cut that because that email popped up on my iPad and it just distracted me. Um, it's my, uh, McSweeney's Halloween episode, uh, uh, issue that was uh, edited by Brian Evanson. It's like the shipping notification. So, (laughs) Um, sorry, I will cut that, (laughs) but anyway, um, you you can keep it in if people, (laughs) maybe people want to (laughs) know. I'm excited about, oh man, Brian Evanson, but anyway, have you had the opportunity? Yeah. Yeah. You've talked to him at least once, if not more than once, right? Yeah. 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 I love Brian Evanson. I think he's one of the best writers in the world. Um, him and Nathan and the sweetest guy. Just in, in, in my mind, like I'd put Brian Evanson and Nathan Ballingrid as a kind of pairing. They just seem, seem yeah. to go well together. Which I think is this. I think that's visible filth. Yeah, yeah. Right this there, this wasn't it? deliberately a moment yeah. to, to plug a book that we yeah. put out. But <laughs> even, even if it was, there's no financial gain for me at this point anyway it's out of print with this as horror but you can get right. it in his collection which i think is called wounds i mean the, the story is called wounds i think the collection maybe it is i just saw him tweet something about it being re-released again under a different title maybe with different oh. stories but um uh since we're kind of in this realm um do you want to take a minute to talk about uh for anybody who for some reason doesn't know what this is horror is kind of like um what you do or 
some of the recent episodes that you've you've made or anything like that? You want to do a little little introduction to people? Yeah, well, this is horror podcast has been going on for over a decade now, and if you include some of the kind of sub episodes, I believe. As of yesterday, it has 541 episodes. I believe the book had 540. So (laughs) I'm revealing that at this moment, Rob's going to walk out. Wow. (laughs) Applause. Applause. That's fucking phenomenal. I'll be honest, because, you know, booked and This Is Horror were going for such a long time. I, I was waiting for the day when <laughs> we hopefully, unless uh, something happened to me and or Bob, where we would finally, you know, overtake booked for numbers of episodes. But with the arc party, you've still got you've still got some. Uh, no, take that win, that right? I didn't take that. Take the win, man. Okay. You deserve it. But, but anyway, I was meant to be telling you wonderful people about this as horror, but instead it just <laughs> turned into some one-upmanship <laughs> apropos of nothing. <laughs> Rob wasn't in any way trying to belittle me, but that's obviously the horrible, nasty person that I am. But yeah, this is horror podcast. We interview people every week. We often put out two episodes a week. And we've spoken to the likes of Dean Koontz and Chuck Paulinick, Jennifer Lynch, Charlene Harris. I could keep listing people. It might not be that exciting for you. But if you have a favorite horror author or even horror tangential, there's a good chance that we've had a conversation with them. And if we haven't, then we're hopefully planning one. So... In addition to talking about the book, we like to know about the author's life. So often, particularly for the first time we speak to the author, the episode will typically be in two parts. The first part will be about early life lessons, about their journey as a writer, about struggles and being vulnerable, as we mentioned before. Whereas the second will be a deeper dive into the book. But I'm not just interested in dissecting the book, but I want to know the person. I want the people who listen to come away having felt like they know the person a little bit better. So we do get very personal. We do talk about pain points. I think if you're a writer, then it's really valuable too, because I like to get writing lessons and craft lessons so i mean this is incredibly grandiose but in terms of like takeaways from the podcast if you can listen to some episodes and you can improve as a writer and even better improve as a person then the job has been done but equally if i just entertained you then that was valid too and i and i will say that um a, you guys do a fucking great job. So I'm going to start with that. So anybody who is interested, not just in horror writers, but just in 
hearing about interesting authors in general and, and the books that they've got coming out, this is horror absolutely must be on your list. But um, specifically what I've really done with arc party is just dialed into primarily a discussion about the specific book. Um, and I've kind of cut out <laughs> most of the other types of conversation. I stay really focused on talking about the book and you do take the opportunity to explore deeper into the person and who they are. And, and, and you have a, a bigger kind of approach than what I do. I really dialed into the one thing and you really go deeper and farther. So if that is something that as a listener you want, like Michael gets great guests um, ranging from like, obviously you said like Dean Koontz and Chuck Palahniuk and stuff to people who are lesser known um, who may be starting out or just don't have as much, you know, attention as some of the big names. So um, it's just invaluable, man. And I don't think that you ever set out to be um, important in horror, but like the existence of this is horror as a podcast and as a website is absolutely a service to the horror community that can't be denied and, and, and is, is a very valuable resource for people. Well, Thank you very much. And I mean, I, I think, you know, that the going into the personal stuff, that probably is our unique selling point. Because there are a podcast such as The Ark Party and Talking Scared, where you dive deep into the book. But I'm not sure that I really know of any podcasts within the horror genre that jump into the personal life quite in the way that we do. It's interesting because there's been other podcasters who, who have said to me they, they almost don't do that as much because they feel like this is horror has it covered. So <laughs> that was kind of an interesting comment. I mean, I don't, I don't uh, believe that in the sense that it's like, oh, don't touch this. This is our area. No, of course not. I think I've said before the thing that makes the podcast unique is you. So it does, so the, the market can't become oversaturated because as long as you're not a clone, then you're going to be a unique individual. So your voice is what makes it interesting. But, but I think that's why we dive deep into the personal life in this Sahara because that is an interest of mine. And I'm really interested in self-improvement, becoming a better human, becoming a kinder human. Goodness, you know, I, I need to do that. I think I've improved over the years. I think there's a long way to go. It is a journey for me. But some of my favorite podcasts, like, like outside of horror, they're about self-improvement. I love the Tim Ferriss show, which is always about kind of hacking and optimizing and getting better. I'm really enjoying Andrew Huberman's The Huberman Lab, which is talking about like health and different ways to optimize the human body. I'm you know, a, a great advocate for the, the paleo diet. And so I listen to a lot of podcasts along those lines. So I'm just interested in 
getting better. I'm interested in philosophy. I'm interested in the way that different people think. I'm interested in getting to understand and know people better. So all of that goes in to this as horror. I'm a very curious person, so I will perhaps <laughs> ask some questions that other people wouldn't, and my mind might go to some places that that were unexpected for what was said. I, I have and I do latch on to little bits in a writer's answer that seem innocuous, but that's the direction I want to take it. And in a way, you know, sometimes in these two-hour conversations, the latest book we might only talk about for 10 to 20 minutes because I've spent right. all the rest of the time talking about these other things. But I think, I hope that that serves the community because if you want a deep dive, you can listen to the ARC party and you can listen to Talking Scared. You can listen to She Wore Black. I hope it's She Wore Black. I keep, I yes. keep forgetting, is it She Wears Black or She Wore Black? It's definitely not she is wearing black, but you know <laughs> that that is a fantastic podcast as well. That's a really unique podcast because it really hones in on gothic horror. That is the kind of niche, if you like gothic horror and Shirley Jackson kind of esque stories, then you should listen to that one. And the host, Agatha Andrews, is such a smart and perceptive person as well. So definitely check out those. But I, I think we're all complementing one another in, in that what we're doing is it, serving the whole community rather than competing. I will say that I agree with that. Um, everybody's got a place in the in the kind of <clears throat> sphere of of horror podcasting, and and it's not like you're getting the same eight questions and answers every time you you listen to this. You know the these different podcasts. Everybody's got kind of their own approach. Um, so yeah, it is very complimentary, and and you have the opportunity then to hear three or four different conversations with the same author about, um, a, a, you know, their book or their, like with this is horror, their life. And it, I, you know, I talked to Daniel Krauss months ago, but I can't wait to hear what he says to you because you're going to ask questions that I didn't think to answer and it's going to be better for me. So like, I think that's kind of the, landscape of horror podcasting right now is is very complimentary yeah and it's because we're having conversations and we are actively listening and often when i'm preparing for an interview for a podcast conversation i will listen to other interviews that the guest has had um I don't want to repeat too much, but also I just want to get a sense of this person. Also, as I said, I latch onto things. So they might have given an answer with some innocuous detail that the host rightly didn't follow up on, but I want to follow <laughs> up on it. But I think that podcasting is so 
important and the art of the conversation is so important because when I'm when I'm researching, if I listen to interviews that that are often not a podcast, it's like a quick 10-minute interview on YouTube or maybe shorter or maybe it's taken from a news program or maybe it's a, a festival or sometimes it's a, an awkward 20-minute Zoom call. There are people that I see that, in my opinion, are, are not very good at interviewing or at least are not very good at conversations. They, it's, it feels like they have their list of questions, but they're not actively listening. They're just, they're yeah. just going through the, the questions. And even worse, there will be people who they clearly haven't read the book or, you know, I, I've seen on numerous occasions, people will be like, so you got a blurb from Stephen King. What, what, what was that like? What did it feel like? You're not asking about <laughs> right. the book, you're. But then, like I, I mean, it, it, it's okay, I think, to mention the blurb from King once. But there are people who, in ten minutes, they keep going back for it. Like, oh, I, I just can't believe that you got a blurb from King. Yeah, well, I fucking did. <laughs> Move on. Yeah. So right. I think is that the whole I think story? What yeah. we're doing, yeah. What what we're doing is just so valuable and i'm so glad that media and technology is working in such a way that we have evolved from the interview to the conversation because i want to hear from the real person i don't want some q a bullshit and it serves a, a purpose and that's good i guess if you're doing it for for a quick column in a magazine, but I, I feel if you're doing that for an audio or a video format, then you're not using the format to its full potential. So, yeah, you know that that's my way of saying. Like, I, I'm glad that hopefully that old way is going out, and I think what we're doing is oh so valuable. I agree. And now I'm inspired to, because this was part of the conversation, one thing I'm going to do in my post on Substack, which is um, how these episodes go out, is make sure that I uh, include a list of horror podcasts that people should check out. Um, so the ones that we have mentioned, and then also I'll try and you know piece together some other ones as well that maybe didn't get mentioned, but not for any negative reasons. Um, because yeah, it's definitely, um, it, it's one of those things where like, much like when you're reading, you want to find an author whose voice speaks to you. It's the same thing with podcasts. Like, you know, some stuff you might, I got to tell you that, uh, what's the, well, there was a podcast that was super famous, um, the true crime one. And I can't remember what it was. It was a true crime. What doesn't matter. You're not talking about, um, okay. Okay. Yeah. But, but, uh, I tried to listen to it because it had so much praise and I just could not get past the woman's voice. And so I stopped and like, maybe it's a great podcast, but like, I can't do it. So um, there's so many reasons that you will or will not latch onto a podcast. So we'll do our best to make sure that we 
provide you, I'll make you I'll make sure I provide you with a list of, of stuff that that is recommended and and has really good content on it yeah and the the, the reasons that one might not like a podcast can be completely different you know from person to person so i mean in your case you didn't like that person's voice for other people they they might love her voice so yep yeah that that's why you know i was even i i even made a point of caveating that that q and a style does not work for me rather than saying this yep. is objectively bad this this is my <laughs> opinion this is what i want but actually there could be some people who are like no i want to know this information i want it to be succinct fast question answer move on i got shit to do but for me <laughs> i want to sit down for for two or three hours and let's let's go deep yeah. Let's dive deep like you... in Whalefall by Daniel Krauss out now. Wasn't paid any money. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like we did that. So uh, this absolutely was a conversation in the style of this is horror. And I did that intentionally, like starting out our first conversation with life lessons and then talking about writing and everything um, was to honor your style and like the benefits of your style. Um, and we definitely went places that I haven't gone, I think, in any other interview that I've done before. And um, we've got more real. So, um, it, you know, this was for people who are listening or watching who haven't checked out Michael's podcast, kind of a preview of, of how similar it could be to what, what he does. So, but all that said, um, House of Bad Memories, October, Friday, October 13th. And um, I, I promoted the wrong social medias on the last episode, so that's going to be updated. But um, I also promoted that there was an ebook and a paperback, but um, I did not mention audiobooks. So, do you have anything specific to say about that while we wrap up? So, the audiobook is going to be published via This Is Horror. So, I have the rights to the audio. It is narrated by Aubrey Parsons, who has done such a fantastic job. He's almost done too good of a job with the accents that I do wonder <laughs> if some American listeners that are not really acquainted with the Peaky Blinders might find it <laughs> harder to to follow. But I, I you know, not not being an American, I don't know what it sounds like to <laughs> to Americans to hear some strong British accents, but he he has done such a marvelous job. It's going to be out anywhere that you get audiobooks. So previously I've just gone exclusively with Audible. This time we're going wide. So you're gonna be able to get it anywhere you can get audiobooks so google play apple books of course audible i believe spotify are selling books now many oh, cool. other places that i don't go for books so can't <laughs> recall the name but <laughs> it is going to be out soon we are down to the wire with that one we really are that though 
there's a lot of things that we don't have time to go into about the audio book, but it, it has been a journey. There were offers that I got. There were contracts that I reviewed. There were contracts that were not good enough that I reviewed. And I <laughs> went back and forth with my lawyer and we just couldn't finalize something. So in the end, I thought, you know what? I'm going to find a fantastic narrator, which I have done, Aubrey Parsons. And I'm going to put it out via This Is Horror. So it will be out soon. Realistically, it will probably be the end of October. That is kind of my fault. I mean, I I didn't anticipate all the things falling through that did, but you know, it's not Aubrey's fault. Bloody hell, Aubrey has turned this around in record time. So check it out. I will be letting people know on the This Is Horror website, on social media, the This Is Horror newsletter. People will know when this is available, <laughs> and I really can't wait for you to listen to it. So I think you're going to have a good time. I think if you've read the book, it will be interesting for you to also check out the, aud the audio book and just see what that kind of adds, because particularly if you're not well-versed in... Birmingham and London accents, then it's going to add a different twist to the story. So check it out. House of Bad Memories available on audio, in audio book, narrated by Audrey Parsons. Not coming Friday the 13th of October, but coming pretty <laughs> bloody close to that date. Well, yeah, I think that one of the things I like most about the book was how I felt so immersed in the locality of it. So I definitely want to check out the audiobook. So I'm really glad that you did that. Um, and I, dude, I count you as a very close friend and I really appreciate the decade plus that we've known each other and that I also get to read awesome stories from you. So thank you so much for all of this time that I've known you and for bringing a fucking great fucking story for me to read. I really appreciate it. Well, Thank you. And you know that the feelings are mutual. You know that I love you. You know that this friendship is cherished. And I'm so glad that we know each other. I'm so glad that you're doing what you're doing. And I'm so, so, so fucking glad that chemo was successful. Like it broke my yeah. fucking heart. Like I, like I might start crying again. We could, could we make it too? Like, oh, you know, for, for you to have had, <laughs> for, for you to have had cancer and to have had to endure that. Like I'm, I'm so fucking sorry, but I'm so glad that you're here. And I hope that we're both here for <clears throat> absolute decades and this friendship, this, crazy ride will continue so i love you thank you so much man love you right back brother all right i'm gonna stop the recording